Thanks for joining us today. We'll be studying the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be discussing what Paul says about spiritual gifts. So if you'll open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll begin our lesson. I'll open us up in prayer to get us started. Father in heaven, thank you again for this group and the opportunity for us to gather together each week and study your word. Today, as we study the gifts that you've given us, the gifts of the Spirit, I ask that you just really open our hearts and our minds and and give us new wisdom as to what those gifts are that you have given to each one of us. We don't have the same gifts. Help us, if we don't already know what those are, help us to become more aware of what those gifts are so that we can use them in a way to bring glory to you. That's why the Holy Spirit gives them to us, and we just ask that you really make us more aware of what those gifts are in the way that we can use those to bring glory and honor to you and help build the church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence here with this group. And we all ask that you speak through me, speak through those who speak up during the discussion in a way that we can all learn from one another and just teach us not only just to give us wisdom, but but teach us and give us the will to want to change and continue to transform to become the people that you want us to be and just continue to bring light to a very darkened world around us. We pray all this through your son Jesus name. Amen. We're in 1 Corinthians 12 today. So what we've been studying is Paul is answering a variety of questions that the members of the church in Corinth had. And one of those questions that he's going to address today is spiritual gifts. That's what we'll be studying in chapter 12. So I'll begin in chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, so he's talking to Christians, he's talking to the brothers and sisters, believers, I do not want you to be unaware So he's saying, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. Just a little bit of background, just like what seems like almost everything else the Corinthians were up to at that point. You know, they had perverted this whole idea of spiritual gifts, and they were beginning to use them in a way to try to bring glory to themselves rather than use them in a way to build up the church. And we're going to see how Paul addresses that. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, meaning non-believers, you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. So he's not talking about stupid idols. He's talking about idols that couldn't even speak. The idols, there's no way that they could even meet your needs. And yet when you were a non-believer, that's places that you worshiped. And even today, I think when sometimes we stumble on the word idols, it's like, well, we don't know that many people that are taking little wood figures and what have you and bowing down to them and praying to them. I think in our culture, we've replaced those with things like money and material possessions and boats and cars and whatever it is that drives you. So he's saying that it was those things that were leading non-believers away from God. Verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. So what he's saying is if you've got the presence of the Spirit of God in your heart, there's no way that you're going to be saying things like Jesus is accursed. And then he goes on, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the other thing he's saying is you've got to have the presence of the Holy Spirit in order to declare Jesus as your Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals to us about Jesus and about God and helps us understand God. 
And what he's getting at is you're either spirit-filled or you're not. And what they were doing is they were using a lot of these gifts in a way to try to glorify themselves by saying, well, and he's going to talk about tongues here shortly, and I'll explain more about that. But he was trying to say that some people were saying, look, I have the gift of tongues, so I'm better than you because you don't have that gift. And that's what he's going to address. Now, where did they get some of this? If you'll flip way back over to the Old Testament, and you go to the middle, you'll get to about Psalms and Proverbs, and then keep going to the right. It'll be after Isaiah and after Jeremiah, keep going after Ezekiel, and eventually get to Joel, which is just after Hosea. And I want you to look at Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And, you know, they studied the Old Testament, and so they were aware of this giving of the Holy Spirit. And so what they were doing is they were taking this gift of the Holy Spirit and really just perverting it. Verse 28 of Joel 2 says, And it will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions. And so they were thinking, okay, uh, look, I've now received the Holy Spirit, and look at these gifts that the Holy Spirit's given me that you don't have, and therefore I'm better than you. That's kind of what was going on. I just want to give you that little background. So let me pick up in verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, or your translation may say activities, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So first of all, let me point out in verses 4 through 6, you can see the Trinity there. The same Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. The same Lord, that's Jesus. And the same God, that's referring to the Father. So there's one God in three persons. And there's also lots of different gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. And what he's going to say is these spiritual gifts shouldn't be used to divide the church. The gifts are not there to bring attention to ourselves, but we're to use those in a way to bring glory and honor to God and build up the church. He's going to explain now what some of these gifts are. Verse 7, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So he's saying every believer is given gifts from the Holy Spirit. All these gifts point to the Holy Spirit, but they're to be used to build the church not to bring glory to the person that the gifts were given to. And by the way, gifts are not talent. Everyone is born with some type of talent, even non-believers. These gifts come with your rebirth. The Holy Spirit gives these gifts to each of us when we become believers so that the Holy Spirit can work through us in a way to help build the church. And now he's going to talk about some of these gifts. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and so that's spiritual wisdom. That's the ability to explain the gospel. That's still an important gift even today in a culture that back then and even today emphasizes human wisdom. This is spiritual wisdom. And then he continues, And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And so that's spiritual knowledge. That's the ability to teach about God in a correct manner. Verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. Okay, so this is not saving faith. 
all believers have saving faith, okay? And I did some study on this. This appears to be a type of special faith that is only given to certain believers. And it may have something to do with, you know, having a really strong conviction that God's going to move in a certain way uh, from time to time. It may be the ability to have really strong faith in the face of some really terrible trials. But it's something different than saving faith because he's talking to all believers and everybody has saving faith. So this is something that's a special gift that's only given to certain believers. And so I was trying to at least ascertain a little bit more about what that is all about. And then he continues into another gifts of healing by the one spirit, verse 10, and to another, the affecting or the power of miracles and to another prophecy into another the distinguishing of spirits, into another various kinds of tongues, into another the interpretation of tongues. So let me talk about tongues here for just a minute because he is going to talk a little bit about that. And that's some of what in the background is what some of the Corinthians were struggling with at the church in Corinth. So tongues, they were as controversial then as they are today. And there were at least three different kinds of tongues. One was where a known language would be spoken by someone who doesn't know the language. That was really the first time we saw tongues, and we saw that when the Holy Spirit was given, and people would be talking, and yet others would hear their own native language coming from the person. Another type of tongue is like ecstatic utterances that are not known to humans. Nobody knows what's being said. It's just sounds. And then a third kind is a language that it can be understood by the listener, even though the person talking doesn't even know that language. And so these are tongues, and I know there are people out there that still say they have that type of gift. I don't think it's as necessary today as it was back then, because like miracles, while miracles we needed to have back then, which really helped authenticate and prove that people were speaking on behalf of God, uh, that's what miracles were. And even tongues, at least as we saw there uh, at the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it was an authentication that this was happening. And there's not as much need for that now because now we have the scripture. We have the word. And in fact, I'll talk about apostles a little bit later, but even, you know, many Christians, I think most Christians believe that apostles, the prophecy no longer exists after the New Testament was completed because it's completed. We don't need that anymore. And so we don't even need the healing type miracles that the apostles were doing at the time. Now, I'm not saying there aren't miracles that don't still happen today, but they're not the type of miracles that we saw the apostles performing back then to authenticate that they were speaking on behalf of God. There are a number of other gifts that we can see in other parts of Scripture. Let me just show you some of those. If you'll go over to the left, go over to Romans 12. Let's go to verse 6. And it says, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his servings, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts, which means encourages, in his exhortation or encouragement, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
So that's some of the gifts. Let me also now direct you, go back to 1 Corinthians 12, and now we'll go, keep your finger there because we'll keep coming back. Let me show you a few other verses. Ephesians 4, and so if you'll just go over to the right a few books, you'll get to Ephesians uh, right after Galatians. And I'd like you to take a look at Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. You have that reference there. And then if you'll go over to 1 Peter, uh, which is go over to the right a little bit further before you get to John, way towards the end, like right before Revelation. And if you go to 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then I'll let you take a look on your own. I know you're aware of the fruits of the Spirit, and that's listed in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So there are various verses that talk about gifts and things that the Holy Spirit can bestow on us. And what was happening there in Corinth is these gifts were being abused and used in a way to bring glory to the people who had the gifts. Uh, They were using them to puff themselves up, and that's what Paul's addressing. Verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So God determines which gifts are going to be given to us and how much of that gift is going to be given to us. And none of that is based on our qualifications. It's not because we earned it or merit. It's just this is the way God wants it to be. And nobody should feel superior or inferior. Whatever gifts God has given you, whatever he's given me, we should be very happy and utilize those gifts in a way that God wants us to use them. Verse 12, before I go through this, he's now going to compare the body of Christ to our own bodies. You know, how we have different parts to our body, and we need all those parts for it to function properly. So let's pick up in verse 12. Before I go there, let me just point this out. I just want to add on to what I was saying about prophecy and that type of thing and the apostles. If you flip over just a couple of pages, go over to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at verse 8. It's really the second part of that. It says, love never fails, but there are gifts of prophecy. They will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. Now, of course, this is primarily talking about the second coming and that love will always be here. But it's also saying that prophecy is going to be done away with and tongues are going to cease. And so whether they still exist or not, I think prophecy, I think the canon, the Bible is closed. So if somebody shows up telling me they've got new revelation that we need to add and supplement to the Bible, I'm not one that's going to go along with that. Whether people talk in tongues, I'll just leave that for you to study further on your own. I'm not saying they can't, but I know that there are some that abuse that and use it in a way to try to bring glory to themselves rather than bring glory and honor to God. So verse 12, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. All right, this baptism that he's talking about is not water baptism. This is talking about the receiving of the Holy Spirit at our conversion when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. 
Verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the sense of smell? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. So Paul is telling the arrogant Corinthians that they're not superior to others just because they possess certain gifts. And they shouldn't discriminate against others who may not have the same gifts that they have. I also want to show you, go back over to Romans to the left, and I want to look at some of the verses that I didn't read the first time. Go over to Romans 12. Paul mentions this similar concept beginning there in verse 4. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then he picks up with the verses I read a minute ago about gifts. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So we shouldn't question why God gave certain people certain gifts. He arranged them how he wanted. And he's done it in a way to fulfill his purpose. And every single part is important. And each of us with our gifts have a role to play in the body of Christ, the church. Verse 20. But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it. Uh, what he's talking about is... You know, think of your unseemly members, your feet, your toes, your fingers. Where do we put clothing and jewelry on? Think of shoes, think of rings and, and what have you. So they may be less honorable, but what do we do? We bestow more abundant honor on them by adorning them. And it's just not necessary. I'll pick up with the rest of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. So he's saying we should go out of our way to honor everyone that's part of the body of Christ, even those that we tend to overlook sometime. We may judge them as, well, they're not as good as I am. Back then, and I think it even happens today, particularly in some denominations, it's like, well, you don't believe like we do, so you must not really be as good a Christian as we are. And Paul is really cautioning us from that. This body of Christ, God has given each of us our gifts, and he wants to use them in a very powerful way to help build the church and bring glory to him. And I happen to believe that a good part of our rewards in heaven are going to be based upon how we utilized our spiritual gifts that God's given us. Somebody told me this story one time, and I know it's not biblical, but I still like to think about it. It just helps me. A guy who was a Christian died and showed up at the gates of heaven and was really excited to be there because he knew he had been promised that Jesus was going to build a room for him in this fabulous house, a fabulous place. 
And he showed up there, and one of the angels is there to escort him to his room. He's walking down the hall, and he's looking in these other rooms, and there's all these gifts piled up in all these rooms that he keeps passing by. And he goes, whoa, 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 just wait a minute. Why can't I have one of those rooms? And the angel said, well, those are the gifts that God gave you that you never used when you were on earth. I know it's not biblical, but it just to me, reinforces that we need to be aware of our gifts, our individual gifts. And at the end, I've got some places, if you don't know where those gifts are, some tools that you can go utilize to help you discern that. So let's pick back up. I'm now at verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, which can be pastors and teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, which I tried to look up what that was. It's not well understood. It's only used here in the New Testament. It probably means assisting others, service for the church. Then we have administrations, which can be church leaders, guides, various kinds of tongues, All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? That's the interpretation of tongues to explain what the person speaking in tongues was saying. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And we'll see when we come back next week, the greater gift is love. We'll see that covered in chapter 13. Remember when the Bible was put together, it didn't have chapters and verse numbers. So this would have just flowed right into chapter 13, which we'll study next week. That's the greater gift that he's talking about. But going back, there's a couple of things that I just want to touch on here. As I mentioned, apostles, there was a need for apostles then. So what is meant by apostles? And we've touched on some of this when we studied Acts, but the word disciple refers to a learner or follower, and the word apostle actually means a person who is sent out. So while Jesus was on earth, his 12 followers, his 12 disciples, that's what they were called, the 12 disciples. And they followed Jesus, and they learned from him, and uh, he trained them. And then after his resurrection and ascension, He sent them out to be his witnesses. We saw that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And at that time, they were then referred to as the 12 apostles. However, even when Jesus was on earth, these terms of disciple and apostles, sometimes they were used almost interchangeably. The original 12 disciples, original 12 apostles, they're listed in various places in the Gospels. You can go look at Matthew 10, verses about 2 through 4, and it lists the 12 apostles. And a couple of things that can be confusing is there's two James that were both apostles. One James was the brother of John. The other James, son of Alphaeus, we don't hear too much about him. And then what's confusing is Jesus had a half-brother named James who wrote the epistle of James. He was not one of the original 12. 
So you got three James, that, so that can kind of be confusing. The other thing that can be confusing is when you look at a couple of the other listings of the disciples, if you go over to Mark 3 or Luke 6, and you compare the names, some of the names, they also had other names. For instance, Thaddeus was also known as Judas, son of James. That's not Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus, so this can all get very confusing. Nathaniel is also Bartholomew, so it can get confusing, but uh, when you follow it through and once you kind of get that settled in your mind, who they were, you know who the, the original 12 were. And then, of course, we, when we were in Acts, we spent some time talking about how Matthias was chosen to replace Judas after he had committed suicide. And we talked about well, is Judas really the 12th apostle or is it really Paul? Did the disciples get ahead of themselves? And we saw then what some of the requirements were to become an apostle. We saw that the man had to have been with them the entire time through Jesus's ministry and had been a witness of Jesus's resurrection and ascension into heaven. And they chose Matthias and he fit those qualifications. But then we don't really hear too much more about Matthias after that. And so some people say, well, maybe he wasn't really the 12th apostle. Uh, they got ahead of themselves. It was really Paul because Jesus appeared to Paul. And clearly Paul then became more prominent than most of the other 12 apostles, except for probably Peter and John. So some think, well, maybe he was the 12th apostle. And, you know, when you look at Revelation 21:14, it talks about the names of the 12 foundation apostles are going to be written in Jerusalem on the foundation stone. And so the question is, well, who is it? Is it going to be Paul or Matthias? Well, I don't have the answer for you. I think we're just going to have to wait to find out. I, I don't get too hung up about it. It's also interesting that, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it condemn Matthias as being chosen as the 12th. Clearly, Paul was very prominent, no doubt about that. But yet, Paul also didn't fit the qualifications that we saw in Acts as being with Jesus throughout his ministry. So I'll leave that for you if you want to spend more time about it. But the reason I'm going through all of this is because there are also a number of other people in the Bible who are mentioned as apostles. And so that can be very confusing when you're reading through, even though they weren't some of the original 12. There were some additional qualifications that we can see in other places, in addition to what I just said, that you needed to be explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. We saw that in Acts 9.15 and have the ability to perform signs and wonders. Uh, you can look at that in Acts 2.43 and in 2 Corinthians 12.12. So there were a number of disciples that were sent out essentially as missionaries to proclaim the gospel. Yet this specific type of apostle, I don't think we see, it's not present in the church today. Certainly all the people who would have been with Jesus in his ministry, they've all died. And so and let me make it clear, you know, 2,000 years later, we're not still working on the foundation. And so you see the apostles referred to as the foundation. And so that's why I say I think this office of apostleship is no longer needed or evident because now we have the gospel. There were some of these others that were referred to as apostles. You can see Barnabas is referred to as an apostle in Acts 13.2, also in, I think it's 14.4. 4. 
Andronicus and Junus are also possibly identified as apostles in Romans 16:7. The same Greek word that's translated to apostle refers to Titus as being one in 2 Corinthians 8:23. Aphroditus, also in Philippians 2:25, is possibly referred to as an apostle, but they weren't the original 12. So I'm just pointing this out that it can be very confusing. But the vast majority of occurrences of the word apostles in the New Testament refer to the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. And I think some of the others were more, think of them as a missionary, because they were definitely sent out with the specific mission of proclaiming the gospel. So I don't think while we have missionaries today, in fact, we're all called to do that. I don't think we should call any of ourselves or anyone else an apostle. I think that should be reserved for the 12 that were there then. But I definitely believe teachers and all of us, we need to use these gifts that we've been given in a way to build up the church and bring glory and honor to God, not to ourselves. I'm going to ask you now, I'm not looking for an answer. I want you to ask yourself, so what are your spiritual gifts? And if you don't know, I would highly recommend that you seek to determine what that is. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Ask for the wisdom so that you know what spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit has given you. Because if you don't know what they are, then you don't know how to use them. There's a number of tools that you can use. You can go out, just Google spiritual gifts. There's lots of different tools that you can use to help you at least begin to hone in on what that might be. I still say You need the Holy Spirit to tell you what that is. But one tool that I've used to help others, if you'll just go and if you write this down, Lifeway Christian Resources, just go Google that. And they have a spiritual gift survey that you can take yourself. You print it out. It's just a little PDF form. And then you can tally up. At least that'll give you a direction. It isn't going to tell you exactly which one, more than likely, but it will become more clear to you which ones could be spiritual gifts and which ones I don't have that gift. So I encourage you to do that. Pray, figure out what it is, and then ask for discernment from the Holy Spirit. And then once you start figuring out what that gift is, start asking the Holy Spirit to help you utilize that gift in the way that God wants you to use it. That's why you have it. It's not there just to sit on. Clearly, when we get to heaven, to be able to say, thank you for the gift and thank you for helping me use it in a way that built up the church and that helped others and they were used in a way to bring glory to God, not to ourselves. So just to kind of summarize what I take away from this chapter, every Christian has spiritual gifts. They're all necessary for this body of Christ, for the body, the church that we are all part of. The spiritual gifts are there for the building up of the church, and they're given to us however God has determined. It's not in accordance with our merit, or we earned it, or we deserved it. It's just how God designed us, just like our bodies. And we shouldn't take pride in our gifts, but we should definitely look for the ways to use them to serve the church and to serve others. So I encourage you to do that. So with that, let me open it up for discussion. Larry, what was that you mentioned, the website or the survey? What was that called again? Lifeway, one word, Christian Resources. I'm sorry, I meant to look that up this morning and get you the website. And then when you get over to that, I know there's a tab or something on there that says Spiritual Gifts Survey. 
But there's other resources too. I'm not saying that's the best one. I'm just saying that's one that people uh, seem to enjoy going through. It's sort of an exercise. It has a way that you can then graph out what they are and then you can look and see which ones are sort of higher up, which gives you a little bit more of a clue of perhaps what your spiritual gifts may be. But I wouldn't go by that. I'd ask the Holy Spirit to put on your heart what they are, make them evident to you and help you utilize them. Hey, Larry, should we expect as we kind of go through different phases of life or different levels of maturity in our, in our walk that our spiritual gifts should change? They probably can. I can't point to any verses for that. I will say that, at least for me, and I'm just talking about my experience, I think that you become more aware as you mature in your faith as to what your spiritual gifts are and how to use those. As you grow closer in your relationship with God, Jesus wants a relationship with us, a personal relationship, and it's like anything. As you develop that personal relationship, you're more in tune with what God's will is for your life and how God can use you in various ways. I think one of my spiritual gifts, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm just saying I'm just aware of it, and it's not me. It's not me at all. It's the Holy Spirit working through me is to teach and to shepherd that type of thing. And so that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit working through me. And because I'm more aware of that, I'm more attuned to seeing those opportunities come along where I can utilize those gifts. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Thank you. But I think as you go through life, can they change? You may be utilizing one gift more at one stage. You know, I probably use leadership more back in my business days than I'm using now. So I think they can change or evolve, you might say. The important thing is to be aware that you have been given gifts, figure out what they are, and then use them. Does anybody want to just speak up and say, I know what my gift is, or I know what at least one of them is X, and tell us a little bit about how you discovered that and how you utilize it? Okay, Larry, I think I know what my gift is as a pastor. A couple of things that helped me early on were people around me in the body of Christ that recognized the gift that God had given me before I, I even really knew what it was. And I laugh about it all these years later. The day that I, my term is surrendered to the Lord, not in salvation, but in agreement with him, that he was calling me to a specific ministry of pastoring and preaching. My pastor at that time made the statement that, well, it's about time, boy, that you figured this out because all the rest of it have known us for a long time. So that taught me right there that men and women around me that knew me that could observe my life. And the converse is true too. You see people, we see you, Larry, and hear you. And we all agree. God has gifted you with teaching and no doubt, you know, for certain he's gifted you with leadership. So people that know you, you find out from the word of God, what they are. And the last verse in that chapter says, desire the best gifts. There's nothing wrong with having a desire for God to give us the gifts that will propel the kingdom in our lives. God wants that. He wants us to be vessels that, that can flow through. But the test that you mentioned, friends around you, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit, those are winning combinations right there for finding out what your gifts are. Simplify, I say this, it's just if there's somebody that knows you, 
then ask him it, from a spiritual perspective, you know, what do you think I'm good at in the Lord? You know, what, what do you see? What do you gain from it? That's my thought. That's excellent. That is so good. And I think you took what I spent, you know, I guess 20 or 30 minutes talking about and you summarized it beautifully right there. So really appreciate that. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.